love and work, you might think that they have nothing to do with one another, or that loving work just means enjoying it. In this episode, we discuss how love as an ideal can be your most powerful guide. I'm Sharif Yunus with Dr. Kevin Majors. This is The Golden Hour. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to tell you about our new masterclass. Now, if you think working better means longer hours, just trying harder, or sacrificing relationships, then think again. In this four-week masterclass, now available on OptimWork.com, Dr. Kevin Majors will guide you through the key ideas and the practice that will help you transform your approach to work. Now, let's get started. Welcome to another episode of The Golden Hour. I'm Sharif Yunus here with Dr. Kevin Majors. Kevin, welcome back. We're glad to have you here with us. Hey, Sharif. Great to be back. Well, Kevin, I wanted to explore the topic of love. And this is a really central topic for us and its connection with work, which might not be obvious to a lot of people, but it's really, really important for us. And just by way of introduction, we recently got uh, a a message from one of our users who's actually coaching people in OptumWorks principles. And they said that the person they're coaching had a real flip when they understood the difference between love as a feeling and love as an ideal. So love as a feeling, meaning I take it to mean something like, I love chocolate cake. I, it, so it's something that it does to me. It makes me feel good. Uh, whereas love as an ideal is something that I do. I'm making sacrifices or I'm giving my best. And so when they were able to make that flip, it really changed their perspective on an understanding optimal work. So, so I thought this is a really crucial topic for people to understand better. So maybe we could just start with love and work. And Kevin, what do you see as, as the real essence of that relationship? Hey, sure. That's a, that's a great question. And I think that you can say that um, there is a very deep analogy between love and work. And when you think about what it is to be working at your very best, so we call that you know, being in flow. Well, flow has all of these effects on our, on, our, you know, on our brain. And love has all of those same effects, which is really interesting. So maybe many of our listeners don't hear us talk a lot about this. Uh, the idea is more built into the masterclass you know, of how the brain is organized according to three different axes. So there's a top-down axis, there's a front-back axis, and a left-right axis. So the top-down is all about fear versus love, actually. That's where reframing is most active. When you're working with modes of fear, your lower cortex is going to tend to just automatically be detecting threats and then giving you strong impulses to respond. So you tend towards automation. What reframing does is allows you to actually see the opportunity that you can love here and to be deliberate then in doing it. So you get to deliberately reframe and you get to work then in a more deliberate way. So in many ways, there's this you know, aspect of are you working out of fear or not? And so it impacts exactly how you work, whether you're in threat mode or whether you're feeling good about it and doing your best. But, that all, but love has that too. 
love is all about, you know, the, the deliberate good that you're responding to or that you're deliberately responding to good, I should say. There's another aspect, which is about attention. And basically, is your attention in your imagination, thinking about the past or future? Or is it really in the here and now, fully present to it? That is, to be working at your best, essential. It's called task attention for that reason, because it means that you're totally in the present moment. And sometimes when people start working, they're not really in the present moment. They're still like half in their heads. And it just makes you much more easily distracted because you have this kind of background attention, this thinking about what you need to be doing next. And that's where distractions come from. And the less engaged you are with the task, the worse it is, like it will pull you off much more easily. So there's something in work when you're completely riveted in the present moment. That's when you're fully engaging task attention. You would say you're fully using your front attention because you know, it's really about the front of the brain rather than the back. But love does that too. Love rivets your attention in the present moment. When you're in the presence of anything you love, you're fully there. So again, there's this deep analogy. Work is task attention in the present moment here and now. Love holds you in the present moment here and now. But maybe the, the deepest is, you know, are you working just for your own kind of sense of satisfaction and dominated by just getting things done and seeing, you know, the, you know, maybe sacrificing a lot of things just to get this done or just to be successful in this, in this task. So working from more motives of self-satisfaction versus deeper motives guided by ideals guided by bonds with others, guided by love and service ultimately, so that you could, you could have the sense of transcending yourself in a task or just trying to satisfy yourself by getting it done. That's the left-right distinction in the brain. The left brain is all about just getting this done. But the right brain is much more interested in these intangibles that are the source of meaning. Again, you see this analogy of work and love. When you're working at your very best, you are transcending yourself and having this kind of spirit of of service and shaping it with ideals. But love does that too. Love gets us to forget about ourselves and just be transcending ourselves really, you know, putting our attention and resting it wholly in the other. So working at your best and loving actually are, from a neuroscience perspective, virtually identical. Flow and love are basically the same thing. And you experience that even when you're talking to people you love. When you're in great conversations and there's a, you know, there's a bond there, some kind of friendship, some kind, some kind of bond of love, you know, that it's, it's just like flow. So love, when, when it's the basis for the, our communication with each other, it really is a kind of flow. So I, I would refer to all of that as the deep analogy between work and love. So love can teach us how to work. In a sense, work can teach us how to love. That's a really helpful view. Now, there does seem to be one difference, at least, which is that work is, is a means to an end. So oftentimes we uh, give the advice to not make work an end in itself, that work should take place within the context of a rich life and meaningful relationships, whereas love is an end in itself and that work is meant to serve that. So, and and that, that leads to another thing that we talk about, which is 
bringing motives or ideals of love and service into your work. So, so then in addition to the analogy, there seems to be the sense in which we're trying to transform our work into love by bringing love into the work. How, how does that fit into the picture? Yeah, and in a way, it depends on, like, are you talking about work in terms of what you're doing? Because that's just the raw material. It could be an end in itself that shouldn't be. It could be absolutized, like, you know, I'm just doing this to get an A on the paper or to get this promotion or to get make this money. So you, you could be just focusing on the what. And in that sense, love isn't going to have much to do with it. Uh, but once you're talking about how you're doing it and especially why you're doing it, then love increasingly plays a role. So, and so the more you're focused, not on just getting an outcome, but on a certain process, then the analogy kicks in more and more. It's ultimately really, if you can see that um, when you are doing things with motives of love, it could just say things around the house that you're working on, you know, for your family. When you, when you actually are trying to like do them more deliberately and attentively as with motives of love, you end up really um, experiencing those tasks as deepening your bond with others. You know, and, and as a doctor, you experience that too. The more you have, like, you know, in my work, the more sense you have of serving people, it really does deepen your bond with them. So that work becomes a conduit for love. Work it just becomes a conduit for building bonds with others. I think that's the best kind of ready state to be in is when you're working, you're ready to form bonds with others. You know, and, and those, those, you know, they're going to be sometimes, um, they're not going to all be like, I'm not saying like, you know, best friends forever with everyone you meet, you know, but there is a real bond that forms. There is a real, there's a real bond that forms with all the people you work with and the people you serve through your work. And I think that's what we're talking about here is that when you're working at your best, that naturally happens. You at work becomes a conduit for forming love, love yeah. and bonds. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. I believe the same thing. Uh, now, and so the, the way that we talk about love, it's really central to work. It's central to our lives. It's essential to living a happy life. I wanted to ask you about the role of love in psychology, maybe even historically, but because mm. psychology is a science, so it, it deals with objective kind of measurable things, whereas love doesn't seem to be like that at all. It's, it's not something that you can just quantify or reduce to something material. Uh, but at the same time, psychology is trying to deal with uh, happiness and how human beings flourish. So it mm -hmm. seems to be that love is kind of essential to psychology, but at the same time, not something that psychology or neuroscience can like properly really do full justice to. Uh, so yeah, what, what is the relationship with the role of love in psychology as it's, as it's been practiced in the past or as it's practiced now? I think, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it's very analogous, you could say, to the relationship uh, or the, the role you could say that thriving has in psychology. So I think that initially clinical psychology kind of came, developed from the practice of psychiatry, that initially all therapy work was done by psychiatrists. More or less. I think there has always been exceptions, but generally speaking, in the public view, psychiatrists were the ones who did that kind of work. Uh, and certainly the work of Freud made that really prominent. Uh, I think that psychiatry as a medical field tends to focus on disorders. 
And it would try using every means possible to help people who are suffering from various disorders. So just say, you know, like depression or mania or schizophrenia. And so there was a real problem focus in psychiatry as just part of medicine and trying to restore people to health. Well, as a result, as, as clinical psychology started developing, it kind of was extending the work of psychiatrists uh, and developing resources and tools that were more purely psychological that didn't require medications at all. And then in the 50s and 60s, and especially the 70s, psychiatry became much, much more about medications and electroconvulsive therapy and other kind of physical treatments. And more and more it happened that clinical psychology started doing more the work of therapy itself, but still with a focus on problems. And, that, and so it, was a, it took a long time until you got positive psychology and cognitive behavioral therapy coming together in the 90s and early 2000s that there, there, an interest in thriving really started to develop, not just helping people to get better, but to actually thrive. And that's when psychology got interested in love again. So because everyone can see that love does deeply relate to human happiness and happiness is like health. You know, and so it's one of these primary things that we're aiming for in helping patients. Well, if you are trying to then study how do you encourage people to thrive, how do you help them to be loving, you need to start having some definitions then of like, what is love? And trying to get into that. The fascinating thing about love is that it defies reductionism. It, you just can't reduce the experience of love, at least talking to any person who loves or has loved. <laughs> so it's like we know that there's something very deep that is happening in love. And in some ways, we know that we're at our best when we're loving. Like we were talking earlier, like flow and love are basically indistinguishable. So I think that if we, you know, psychology has struggled with how do you, like, what are we talking about? And is it a chemical oxytocin. There's all this stuff about oxytocin and attachment and bonding. And so there are people who think, well, yeah, love is just like a chemical reaction in your brain. And, and there, and now clearly that's like crass reductionism. And so that thing is uncompelling for most people. Um, there's love. The idea is, well, love is a state of limbic resonance. Okay. Cause you're like your emotions and, um, your, your deeper states, I would say resonate with each other. You know, when, you, when, you, when you're in a bond of love with someone. Uh, I think limbic resonance is an interesting effect of the bonds we have with others, but yet it isn't the bond. And you wouldn't say it like calls forth the best in us. It just makes us resonate <laughs> with each other. So. so to me, it's like that isn't really compelling as a complete story either of, of love. Not that anyone is actually saying it's the complete story, but it's just an interesting element. Um, Barbara Fredrickson has this definition, love is micro moments of connectedness. Uh, I actually think that is not too bad because it just is referring to the actual bond that forms between people. And there is this attentional bond, right? That, that is constructed by love. When you're well disposed toward others, you're seeing the good in them. They see the good in you. You easily form this stable attentional bond and you feel connected. I think that is in a sense that attentional bond that is in actuality what then becomes habitually what we call friendship. Friendship is just the habitual readiness for that actual bond. 
So I think that idea of really being deeply connected, it's, the idea is that love is actually a union of two people in a bond. You know, and that can be made really actual when they're present together, but then it's there habitually as friendship or a, a deeper sense of commitment. So psychology has had a hard time, I think, coming up with really good definitions of love, precisely because at the one hand, love is an emotion, you know, but love also is um, a bond we have with others. Uh, love is an ideal. Uh, uh, love is the motivation we have to do things. You know, like love is all of these things. It, it defies being put in one simple bucket. Love, in a sense, is the whole. Great. Well, let me add two more uh, possible definitions to the mix. So this is uh, mm. Stephen Covey, the author of the very famous Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And it's uh, this passage where he's uh, dealing with, I don't know if it's a friend or someone he's coaching, uh, but the person says, he's coming to him with a, with a problem and Stephen Covey is giving him advice. So the person says, my wife and I just don't have the same feelings for each other we used to have. I guess I just don't love her anymore and she doesn't love me. What can I do? And Stephen Covey responds, the feeling isn't there anymore? He says, that's right. Well, love her. Well, I told you the feeling just isn't there anymore. Love her. You don't understand. The feeling of love just isn't there. Then love her. My friend, love is a verb. Love, the feeling, is a fruit of love, the verb. So love her, serve her, sacrifice. Are you willing to do that? So just to add, now you've given us uh, several bond, motive, ideal, uh, limbic resonance, micro moments of connection. Uh, now, love is a feeling and love, love is a verb. Just to add those to the mix, how, how do those fit into the picture? I think, yeah, that's, Covey really does address a deep issue, I think, you know, which is what do you do in relationships when the feeling is gone? So the feeling is the emotion or the passion. Those are all, I think, synonyms. And that's you know, love as a passion is simply how you as an organism as respond to the perceived good. Okay, now that's super basic, you know, but in a sense, you know, amoebas love their food. So it's like there's this thing where that's kind of universal to all, all, all living things. Those that are fit for them somehow are then loved in a way. And dogs love and cats love. And in that sense, it's just a, in terms of the emotion itself. Um, what we're talking about with um, love in the will you know, is now it's like, it's the movement of the will to choose the good that is perceived. It's something free. It's something deliberate, right? It's, it's something intangible, you know, where we can like love and commit ourselves, you know, to, um, you know, to another person and, and to their good. I think the risk in the Covey formulation is what's called voluntarism, or just the idea of just like pushing harder, trying harder. Like, and I don't think that that actually works to, you know, feelings come and go. And so in that sense, if you just persist through a moment of dryness, you can kind of hope that um, eventually you get back to a state where it, where it comes more easily. But I think that in a way, love needs to be experienced as, um, you know, a fire actually. You know, that, that there's a real fire of love that begins in the will uh, when the will is really ardent. That's what it means to burn, you know, an ardent will. 
the more ardent the will is in actually loving and deciding to love and looking for initiatives and opportunities to love, the will becomes like a fountain of actions. And the more ardent it is in that, the more it does then overflow into the emotions and the emotions participate in that. This is classic, like, you know, uh, Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle talking about how this works. The affections of the will then spill over into the passions in the body. I think this idea that you actually need the fire in the will and it needs to be ardent. Uh, So how does the will then, in a way, like, break open new possibilities of love, you know, and, and how does it renew its own love? Um, fascinating this idea that he mentions the word sacrifice. Okay. Cause in some ways, always what deadens love is sacrificing the, the bond for other outcomes and self-satisfaction. And there's been a lot of that going on, you know, so, you know, it, gradually someone has prioritized, you know, the professional work over the bond, and then the bond suffers. And if they're doing that repeatedly, just doing their work and trying to succeed and be successful in work, you know, without any real care of the bonds in their life, those bonds are going to kind of grow cold. The fire of those bonds grow cold. Um, So the way you'd have to do is you'd have to start sacrificing then those outcomes in work for the sake of the bonds of the people in your life and start putting the people first. And that's where your will is having then new initiatives of love because it's deciding to make the sacrifice. I think as it does that, then the feelings come back and the the fire comes back. So really it's, are you transcending yourself or are you just satisfying yourself? Now, sacrifice, uh, you could say like, it's a deep concept. You know, what does it really mean then to sacrifice yourself for, for another? It's deeply tied then to, you could say, the secret of renewing love. And that gets to, if I can back up and say, and this is all coming from Thomas Aquinas as well, but he says, when you look at um, religions that offer sacrifice, so primitive religions, you know, and ancient Judaism, but even in Christianity, uh, there are four motives for the sacrifice. Okay, so the first motive is some kind of like adoration of God as God. So adoration is love itself. The next motive is asking for things. So desiring. So you have a desire to obtain good things and then you're asking and desiring that. The next is thanking God for things. And so that's another motive in sacrifice is to make an act of thanksgiving. And the last is atoning. So that you've neglected the bond and now you're coming back and making atonement sacrifices. Those are the the real four motives for any kind of sacrifice. That's the end of a sacrifice. Essentially, love, desire, thanksgiving or gratitude, you know, and some kind of atonement or contrition or being sorry. So those I think are how you get the fire going again, always, of how do you restore bonds that have gotten weakened? Well, by desiring that the bond be stronger, you know, by showing more gratitude to the person you have the bond with, uh, by apologizing you know, and, and, and saying you're sorry. When people never apologize and never thank each other and have no desires to deepen the bond, the bond does grow cold because the bond is a kind of fire of love. So I think each person can figure out at one moment in time for their heart right now, 
what's the path to reawaken the fire of love? And it's going to be showing deeper gratitude, deeper kind of contrition, more desires, or just being loving itself. So I think you have to figure out how to crack open the heart to get that fire then to, to reignite. All right, Kevin. Well, I think there's a lot there for us to reflect on for the next week. Uh, but as it is, stands now, we're out of time. So I'll give you the last word if you have any final thoughts you want to leave us with. Well, just the, the, you know, reflecting on that, that people have, like, if love really is a fire, you have to learn how to work it. And that's something love learns from work. Coming up then with new strategies to be finding ways of expressing thanksgiving, you know, expressing gratitude to, to the, your partner and, and, and showing, you know, desires to be atoning or making up for things from the past. Um, it's just showing a deeper desire for, you know, for the bond to get strengthened. That's work. And so those ideas of these, you know, these pathways of the affections actually are the outlines for how you work relationships. So work has something to learn from love and love has something to learn from work. That's awesome. Great. Well, Kevin, thanks so much. We'll be back next week. Thank you, Sharif. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to check out OptumWork.com for a set of online tools to help you engage challenge in your life. See you next week.